Today is Friday, September the 15th, 2017, and this is the 59th episode of the Marshall Report. Welcome to the podcast. In this episode, the open house, questions to ask your listing realtor, my prediction for autumn real estate market, what does living near an airport or a fire station do to your real estate value, what's new in KW, real estate news, and more. A link to all of these topics can be found on keithmarshall.ca or here at kwrealestatenews.com. Let's get on with the show. Autumn is my favorite time of year. In the autumn months, mid-September to mid-December, we typically experience in Waterloo Region a mini spring market. It's shorter, but extremely active. It usually starts the week after Labor Day and continues until a couple of weeks after Remembrance Day. I think one of the reasons for our summer slowdown in the autumn rally is that we are an education center. In July and August, our universities and our community college mostly clear out, and as such, so do our cities. Real estate sales activity in August is always very, very low, especially this year. As a longtime real estate blogger and the keeper of several spreadsheets, I found that my Google Analytics and my own sales activity is a wonderful reflection of how the market is behaving. I've been keeping track. Although the April surprise had a sharp and obvious impact on Ontario real estate, many of us who are watching the market think that the correction has been made, and I personally see no reason why this year should be any different than past years, at least in terms of autumn sales activity. My predictions for the autumn real estate market? Well, first of all, prices will go up. I know what you're thinking. Price is going up? Keith must be crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, I might. Statistically... Prices have already fallen, some would argue almost to close to last year's level. Some would say that much of the gains that were made over the winter and early spring have been wiped out since the end of April. I don't completely agree. But to be fair, you know, and I know how statistics lie. The numbers only are a good reflection of what's sold in a given month. Maybe over the past three months, nothing fabulous and expensive has sold. I know that sales volume is way down, prices are soft, and competition is weak. But prices aren't really back to where they were in August 2016. Not yet, anyway. Alright, the second thing is that it could get very competitive. Although this year, February through April, was nutty beyond reason, with offer nights generating dozens of offers and homes going for 30% over list price, I think the autumn market will catch a lot of buyers off guard. People believe what they want to believe, and currently buyers believe that it's a buyer's market. It isn't. We're heading towards a balanced market, which means the best houses priced right may very well generate competing offers. The spreadsheet that I keep for all of the houses I visit showed last month that houses that my clients were interested in seeing got an average of more than 5% over list price. When the market changed, a lot of houses didn't sell, but the ones that did sell sold for over asking price, at least the ones that my clients liked did. The market is still competitive. Just talk to anyone who bought a house recently. 
The next thing is life is long, but time is short. The autumn market is a sprint, not a marathon. When I meet with the new home buyers, I often tell them that buying a house is like running a marathon. It's a test of endurance. You have to see a lot of houses. You have to learn a lot, and you have a lot to learn. The spring market starts in mid-January and goes to mid-July, essentially. That's a full six months. The auto market is three months long at best. We're halfway through it before you notice. It's not even a marathon. It's a half marathon. Rates and rules. I was surprised that interest rates went up again last week. This will impact anyone with a variable mortgage. I was surprised that they went up because they had just gone up for the first time in, I think, six years. So I thought the Bank of Canada would take a break and wait and see the impact. But they keep tinkering with things. They don't know that the real estate market is huge, like a big ocean liner. It takes a long time to turn it around, but they keep tinkering. Maybe they're going to overcorrect it. Ontario may follow BC and draft rules to disallow real estate agents from double lending. I actually agree with this, but I don't like all the tinkering. Okay, here's a real estate question. Do you really need an open house? As you may know, in terms of getting a home sold, I'm not a big fan of open houses. I think they're old-fashioned and out of date. I think they're marketing tools in a realtor's bag. Just like a rusty old adjustable wrench or some masking tape left over from the last painting job so, oh, so many years ago. Like the painter's tape, the perennial favorite, the Sunday open house, it's a little worse for wear. A little frayed around the edges, but it still might have some value. Some, but not the value that many home sellers think. But let's go back in time. In the olden days, information traveled much more slowly and less completely. Back in old times before the internet, open houses were useful for potential home buyers to get a first look at a house. Now most people's first look is the listing on the MLS portal or or realtor.ca. In the old days when real estate was mainly advertised through the local newspaper and new listings arrived weekdays at the brokerage on something called a hot sheet and was published weekly or monthly in an actual book. Back then, open houses were a great tool to get buyers in the door and show off a home. Generally, those newspaper advertisements and listing books included only one picture of the front of the house and only the basic facts about the house. Number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, maybe the square footage, that sort of thing. In order for buyers to get any real feel for the home, they had to visit it in person. What better use of time for an agent than to get a bunch of buyers into an open house during a weekend? Back to today, we have the internet. High-definition photography, virtual tours, a lot of other factual information. Today, the first showing happens online. A potential buyer does not have to visit a house in person. The buyer does not have to visit an open house. Marketing and shopping have gone online. The internet has made all of us more efficient. But that doesn't mean that open houses are not still useful. I can think of two good reasons to hold open houses. I was recently out with a colleague and we were talking about open houses. And um, we decided that these are the, the two reasons. Number one, to demonstrate to the home seller that we are actually working. Most consumers have no idea how we spend our time. What better way to show that you care than to spend a couple of hours in the home seller's kitchen talking to strangers? And number two, to potentially meet some future buyers or seller clients. Those neighbors coming through your front door might be selling someday soon.
buyers may just be getting started and they may not even know yet they'll be needing the help of a buyer's agent. So, who comes to open houses? Well, anyone and everyone can attend an open house, um, but they fall into four main groups. The pre-approved, qualified, and ready buyers is the first group. Whether or not they have an agent with them, this is uh, the number one target group. These people are the seller's reason for holding the house open to the public. The second group is non-qualified buyers. These buyers are just getting started. They're just entering the market. Some will buy within your listing period, but most won't. Neighbors. Some are nosy and curious. Others are getting ready to list their own homes and are out doing a bit of market research. There's an outside chance that they could be buyers for your home or know someone like a family member who is. And then you got the fourth group, the hobbyists, the looky-loos, and the small-time criminals. These folks have their own agendas that don't match yours or your realtors. They're just killing time or getting ideas or looking for something to steal. So, in conclusion, open houses are not a total waste of time. I actually enjoy doing them. I enjoy meeting the attendees and trying to figure out which group they fall into. All in all, I think holding open houses are expected by most home sellers, but most realtors don't expect to sell the place through the open house. It happens, just not often. So, should you do an open house? Absolutely. Will it help you sell your house? Almost certainly not, but not completely not, so why not, eh? I suppose it's become one of those cultural norms that we do in polite society. It's expected. It's part of the routine. There's one positive thing I've noticed about open houses. That is sometimes, maybe once every two or three years, a pre-approved, qualified and ready buyer will wander through with or without their agent and they will end up buying the place. Now, it could be argued that in the absence of uh, the open house, they would have made an appointment to view the place. But who knows? All right, here's some questions to ask your listing realtor. Sometimes being a real estate agent is like a series of job interviews. As agents, our product is really ourselves, and it's up to us as individuals to keep ourselves employed. Bad customer service, bad advice, too much pressure, not enough gentle guidance poor and insufficient communication can all lose us, our clients. And we lose clients every time we help them buy or sell. When we are successful, our clients move away to another town or into a forever home. Successful real estate agents are often looking for new clients. We call this keeping the funnel full. As we ramp up into the autumn market, home buyers and home sellers have been contacting me and I assume other agents to get the process started. It's quite common for home sellers to interview three agents before they choose one they want to work with. Home buyers sometimes interview a few too, but this is less common. There are lots of websites with questions you can ask potential agents. Here's some good questions. Which neighborhoods do you primarily work in? How many clients are you currently working with? Are you part-time or full-time? How long have you been a realtor? What separates you from other realtors? Some of the questions are idiotic. What is your average list price to sales price ratio? What kind of guarantee do you offer? How many homes have you sold in the last six months? What professional memberships do you hold? 
What is the price range of most of the homes you have sold? My advice is to get to know the person. Real estate is really a relationship business. Although the agent-client relationship is a business relationship, you should try to get to know the person behind the agent. When you're buying or selling a home, you spend a lot of quality time with your agent. You share financial and other personal information. You will develop trust and confidence in him, and he will nurture and coach you. With that in mind, here are two more questions I think are good ones to ask your potential realtor. Where do you live? Why are you in the real estate business? Let's talk about area influences. A recent study by Realtor.com found that living near noisy amenities is reflected in lower home values. For example, living near an airport decreases your home value by more than 13%, or a hospital emergency room, about 7.5%, or a fire station, about 2%. Now, I'm always cautious with statistics because there's always missing information that's not reflected in the stats. For example, maybe only cheaper homes are constructed on busier streets, leaving the green space lots for bigger and more expensive homes. Same can be true for homes near schools or supermarkets or many of the other um, uh, amenities that were mentioned in the article. However, I am sure, because I work with lots of buyers, that there is some impact that noise pollution has on the price of real estate. Okay, let's go to Waterloo Region and KW News. Waterloo Region's economy will likely grow at the same speed or even faster than the Ontario economy over the next two years. This is according to the Chief Economist at the Conference Board of Canada. The $13 million school at Ferry Road and Lackner Boulevard that was originally set to open in September 2014 finally opened in September this year. That's the Chicopee School. There's a large swath of land at the corner of Blockline and Cortland that's been empty for many years. And now there's a proposal to build a set of four tall apartment towers up to 38 stories each. The residents in the neighborhood are worried. Uh, the GRT is changing uh, some of the bus routes to make way for the LRT. The public is being asked for their input. The LRT uh, has a bit of a software snafu. Um, Bombardier is failing to deliver the trains on time that work. If you're available this weekend, uh, tomorrow, the Ion Operations Maintenance and Storage Facility will be open as part of Open Doors. It's uh, located at 518 Dutton Drive. The region of Waterloo is looking to expand the bike share program. Uh, an expanded bike share program will uh, help address the problem of the last kilometer provided uh, uh, links to the LRT stations uh, and the riders' homes or workplaces. And in a related thought, bike lanes, relative inexpensive housing, and a short walk from home to brew pubs are among amenities that attract the creative class. Think young, hip, educated, affluent, and employed in sectors like IT, design, and architecture. 
Ontario is partnering with Uniloc to build a new manufacturing plant in air. It's creating 16 new jobs in addition to the plant's 61 existing positions. Uniloc manufactures concrete interlock paving stones and retaining wall segments used in backyard patios, driveways, and landscaping features. WestJet cancels flights to Orlando. If you want to fly down south this winter, you'll have to find a flight outside the region. And in August, KW home sales were steady. Uh, We listed 589 residential properties, and that's on par with August 2016. Inventory levels continue to be low. Just two months of inventory are available. That's at the end of August. Canada's housing bubble has vanished without crash landing. The economists say that Canada's housing bubble, long feared to be vulnerable to a dangerous pop, is now officially dead. Canada's housing market corrected in the fourth consecutive month in July, led by cooling in Ontario. Canadian housing starts speed up in August. In Canada, the amount of new homes that commenced construction last month reached their highest level since September 2007. There's thoughts that the real estate market might have bottomed out in July. July marked the smallest monthly decline in greater Golden Horseshoe home sales since Ontario's fair housing plan was announced in April. This suggests sales might be starting to bottom out. The national sales to new listings ratio sat at a well-balanced 53.5% in contrast to the high 60% range in Q1 of 2017. The ratio in the range of 40 to 60% is considered consistent with a balanced housing market. Above 60% is considered a seller's market and below 40% is a buyer's market. Based on a comparison of these sales to new listings ratio with long-term average, more than 60% of local markets are now balanced. The real estate market over the summer was drowsy and buyers and sellers are anxious to know what will happen this fall. The expected swell of listings in the fall may not be as dramatic as the surge in the spring. That's proving to be true. The slowdown doesn't necessarily translate into greater affordability. While there have been recent signs of a cool-down in Canada's most in-demand real estate markets, would-be buyers must temper their expectations of a more affordable housing segment in the near future. Toronto prices remain elevated compared to last year, and recent market sluggishness might simply be a blip, as was the case in Vancouver. Deals are going bad as buyers and lenders take a tougher look at home values. The first sign of a problem is often when the lender sends out an appraiser who judges a property and finds it's worth less than what the buyer offered a month or two earlier. A lower valuation means a smaller loan from the lender. Some home sellers in Toronto are finding the buyers of their homes are trying to negotiate the deals just days before closing. In this rapidly cooling real estate market, some buyers seem to be regretting how much they agreed to pay back when the market was so hot in the spring. 
In other cases, buyers aren't able to secure financing because the home they are buying is not worth the price they agreed to when they signed the deal. In other news, more than 62% of Starbucks now compete with at least one other Starbucks coffee shop. After years of opening new locations, the Seattle-based coffee chain's relentless pursuit of ubiquity is becoming one of its own foils. And the impact of the hurricanes on health is not captured in the mortality and morbidity numbers in the days after the rain. This is typified by the inglorious problem of mold. Texas and Florida might be having some mold problems in the coming months. In money, you're richer than you think. The sharp appreciation in home prices in Ontario and BC, fueled by extremely accommodative monetary policy, have encouraged homeowners to tap into their home equity in order to support a spending binge. On average, the outstanding balance on Canadian home equity lines of credit is $70,000. And overall, the loans account for about 45% of consumer credit. Now that it's September, you should know that there are five products on discount in September. September is a good time to buy washing machines, dryers, dishwasher, and as fall approaches, leaf blowers. With the new school year started, it's also a good time to snag a deal on uh, desktop or notebook computers. In Canadian news, Canada is the top choice for tech workers relocating due to Trump's presidency. A report from Hired.com has found that the U.S. president's administration has created an environment of uncertainty and discomfort for tech workers in the U.S. The report indicates that one-third of survey respondents said that Canada is their top choice to relocate to, followed by Germany, Asia, and Australia. 